All right. Okay. Hello, Streamland. Oh, I might have to kill this, actually, or at the very least, maybe turn down the brightness, because I am super washed out. Hold on. Menu. You guys don't see this, but I gotta have to menu. Uh, All right. Hold on. I actually have to change the yeah. brightness on my fucking screen because I'm super washed out at the moment. Cool, 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 cool. That's better. Alrighty. Alrighty. Uh, so this is the pre-roll. You know the deal. Yeah. Pre-rolls are weird. Yeah, we, we've, we've been here. We've done that, all that good stuff. And we are live on Twitch. Uh, you ever like, you ever like, um, well, you get home kind of late, so I don't know how it is for you, but let me explain my situation. Sometimes I'm at work. Sure. And, um, just this like wave of like, hey, you want to do this will hit me. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Whether that be go out and shoot or like go home and shred, right? Okay. And then, uh, and you know, that's around like noonish, which I feel like is like peak human-like brain activity, give or take. Yeah, sure. And uh, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go home. I'm going to I'm gonna work on that riff, right? Uh-huh. Uh, which reminds me, fucking reply to the riff I sent you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, like, get home from work, right? When I get home, it's, like, 5.36. I, like, eat some food, and then I'm like, god damn, I don't want to do anything today. And I, like, sit down on my couch, and my Schecter's staring at me, and it's like, come on, you promised. <laughs> No, it, promise today. It's funny that you actually mentioned that because Greg was literally exp- explaining his own variation of that yesterday, right? He's like, you know, you, you, he's like, you have that like that thing where you're like, okay, it's like the, the the night before, and you're like, okay, well, tomorrow I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, right? And then he's like, and then you wake up and you're like, I don't want to fucking do anything. He's like, what's that yeah, called? Well, <laughs> he's like, what's that called? I'm like, that's called depression, Greg. <laughs> well, uh, so, so Greg's like a Greg's a producer. He makes beats on the side, right? Uh huh. And we uh, we kitted him out pretty nicely. We got him some hardware and shit for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, dude, he's working essentially three jobs and going to school. And I'm just like, yo, dude, next time you have free time, sit down and make some beats. He got that uh, that money counter sample, mm-hmm. you know, and then he has the money counter dot loud sample so you know he's not messing around <laughs> and uh it's unfortunate because you know it's like your hobbies are the first to go I, i've said it before and i'll say it again but like i love reading well i should specify i love reading books i enjoy mm-hmm. which kind of sounds repetitive but mm-hmm. i think it's important right yeah sure um and that's always the first fucking thing no matter what work school kid um you know like just not enough time in the day what looks like i'm not reading today you know? yeah correct yeah yeah for sure yeah i feel that um yeah i'm a dad so i just double that <laughs> you know so uh i feel um again this is episode 167 and are i mean are you ready to go oh yeah What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Second City Kids podcast, episode number 167. Can I get a 167 in the house? And we are back on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. We had just 
I've merged from the other end of the snowpocalypse. Uh, watch your fucking mouth. Yeah. It's supposed to snow tonight. I know. I've heard. I've heard. But point being, it's not like negative 20 and snowing, which I don't ever recall that ever happening before. <laughs> you know? And uh, right now it's like 40 degrees, I think I saw. 40 fucking degrees. Can you believe that shit? Yeah. Um, you, you know, my, my whole thing is – and I, I tell this to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, we get – um, we essentially get like Stockholm syndromed with Chicago weather, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like – I mean, you know damn well the past week, like, um, I've just been stuck in ice with the car and mm-hmm. shit like that. Mm-hmm. And it was like negative five, and you're just like, oh, man. And today it's like, it's 35. It's not even 40, right? Yeah. And uh, and we're just like, oh, my God, it's beautiful out. Yeah. Shorts, vans, <laughs> yeah. cut off. Yeah, for sure. It's like it's one of those uh nicers one of the nicer days we've had in the in, in the meantime in between time, but not much we could do about that, but yeah, like I said, we are back. And uh we want to do the podcast. Uh like I said, we we committed to it a little bit more often. And uh yeah, we 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 are, we're here. So, I believe you put this thing at the top of this list on the notes. What are we looking at here? Oh, you're not even going to ask me how my week was? Oh, yeah. Oh my god. See, I I forget. So, how's your week, buddy? How's your last Thank couple you. last couple of weeks? They're all right. Thank you. <laughs> I set that. I set that up. Yeah, um, sure. No, it, it, it's been good. Yeah. How you been? I've been all right. Um, I'm tackling a new project at work, so uh, a project that I'm developing. So excited slash nervous that it's going to be a gigantic waste of time. But you know how that goes. And hey, man, uh, as long as you're getting paid, that's true. And uh, yeah, you know, just doing doing the damn thing around here, uh, streaming away. Got into No Man's Sky. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and just gaming eclectically as much as I can. Uh, but that's the that's the deal with that. So, uh, are you so you ready to get to this this beefy agenda here? Yeah, let's uh, let's dive right into it. So I uh, slapped this on the notes for those of you who are new here or are a returning customer. I apologize in advance. Um, our notes is notes that don't fit anywhere else. Makes sense, right? So, what is the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? Dumbest thing I've ever spent money on. You know, aside from healthcare, I uh, probably the skateboard when I bought the skateboard like five years ago that I've only used twice. That's pretty dumb. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember <laughs> when you bought that. You're like, bro, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to ollie again, and then yeah. we'll be flipping over trash cans in no time. That and was, then, and I think like a week later, you're like, my, my knees, man, can't do it. Uh, my my knees, my center of gravity, a lot of things have changed in the in the, in the last decade. Yeah. So uh, that was probably one of the dumbest. Um, I go on these random spurts where I buy baseball cards. Uh, I wouldn't call that dumb though, because uh, it's kind of a hobby. But I have spent a a, a large chunk of change on that. Um, uh, I think that's basically the gist of it. I, I try to be as frugal as I can when it comes to certain things, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. How about absolutely, you? Absolutely, my friend. Um, well, I mean, I mean, I feel like it's a give and take with a lot of the shit I spend money on, right? Because I always tell my friends, I was like, hey, man, like, I will always support, excuse me, you're like creative and artistic endeavors, no mm-hmm. matter what they be, as long as like within legal and moral boundaries, right? For sure. So like... If somebody wants to get into music or painting or whatever, I'm like, yo, dude, spend that hundred bucks on the kit and like see if you vibe with it. And if you don't, then, you know, you don't move on to the next one. For sure. And I feel like a lot of I've spent quite a a chunk of change on trying to find my like niche. Right. Okay. And, and, you know, I I feel I I self-describe as the dude with too many hobbies and not enough time. Sure. Um, And, you know, we can talk about the 3D printer. 
we can talk oh, about. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, right? You forgot about I that. I forgot. Uh, we can talk about the five uh, skate decks I have in the house right now. Um, we can talk about all of this, but like, so 2020, beginning of 2020, I bought a project car. Right. Yeah. And it was it was supposed to be a, a three way split between myself and two friends. It was supposed to be like our car, like we all work on it and stuff, right? Anyway, those two back out. This is Greg and Scott for reference, by the way. Got it. Those two back out as we're driving to go look at the car. Right? <laughs> so we're going to look at it and they're like, Yeah, man, we were gonna tell you, but we didn't want to like bum you out. But essentially, like me and Scott are out. It's like, oh fuck. All right. And so I, I ended up buying it, right? We, we knocked about half the price off the dude's asking price. And, uh, and, and it was a good learning experience. And I don't, like, fully regret it, right? Yeah. But this past week, the project car is sitting in the garage because the interior is completely torn apart. We took everything apart to fix the sunroof, which was the last thing we did. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had to park my, like, my daily car outside in the freezing fucking cold. Okay. So every day I wake up. My car is frozen over. I have to fucking de-ice it. I got to wait for it to warm up, right? And then the worst part, the worst part is that I, I love my new car. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Okay. It has frameless doors. So that means that the window on the door, there's nothing above it, mm-hmm. right? So when you open the door, the window moves down slightly so it doesn't hit the fucking um, the chassis. Mm-hmm. And when it's frozen, it can't fucking move. <laughs> Cause it's frozen. <laughs> and, um, and like I said, I don't regret the project car. I've kind of learned a lot mechanically with it. Okay. And, um, a word of advice to anybody listening. Don't ever, don't ever buy a Beamer because you're going to fall in love with it and it's going to siphon money out of you. Indeed. And then you're going to hate it and you're going to love it again. And it's just a vicious cycle. But, um, I, I think that's been kind of the dumbest because it's not like a hundred or 200 or 300 bucks even, right? Mm-hmm. To get your toes wet or to get like a decent setup, you know, cause $300 guitars, pretty good. Yeah. Right? You yeah. find something pretty decent, whether that be used or new for 300 bucks. For sure. For sure. Or even like camera wise, but car wise, if you're buying a car for $300, um, you know, you're, you're going to be putting another, 1500 into it mm-hmm. so well I, I think i could probably put this computer on that list now is it practical was it like the most practical thing ever no but like i kind of needed it i probably could have survived with the reg that i had for a little bit longer but i, right, I but there's a big difference between surviving and thriving correct yeah um and being able to do what i want basically or to get the stream to look as good as i want it to look uh so the period is probably up there uh, i mean it was basically my stimulus check but that's what the stimulus check is for right to stimulate the economy that's what i did yeah and and uh you know it's funny because you being the non-tech guy have Mm -hmm. the like the most advanced setup the best setup out of all of out of out of the guys on discord who are all tech guys who all literally went to school for computer science yeah that was a weird thing because uh we were talking about it's just setup because he's playing uh, cold war now and he's like, man, my shit's basically a toaster. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, yeah, it kind of is. it's a toaster, but the, the, the toaster case is very nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, well, you know, send up great, but it is what it is. So I, th- I think probably the computer would probably be up there, but I don't regret it. I'm having a blast. Uh, I'm able yeah, to man. stream, uh, do some gaming on it and get whatnot and have a good old time. So there is that. You, you can get by with minimum until you can't. And especially with like music production and mm-hmm. photo editing. 
You don't realize how much horsepower you need till you're balls deep trying to do something, and then everything just flickers, and you lose all your save progress. Correct. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that, that I got it, and uh, the woman supports it because I'm actually using it. That's her like the most important thing. She's like, I don't care what you spend money on, as long as you actually use the fucking thing. So I have a lot of hobbies that I'm trying to simultaneously do all at the same time. <laughs> you know, yeah. so she's uh, gonna be like. Uh, Sell your white boy me a skateboard. See if he'll buy it. <laughs> I mean, are you interested? <laughs> Anyways, uh, so uh, the next thing is something that I brought up um, because I, I think I was watching a Watch Mojo video and they had like a top twenty villains in all of media, and I didn't want to do twenty because twenty is too long, and I figured it'd take too much uh, too much time on the pod, and I didn't want to dedicate full segments to it. But uh, we're doing a top five top five villains in all of media pop culture whatever you want to call it uh and i was wondering who your five were were um are we doing these in order or you just want me to toss them out there uh it's up to you i, I don't really make it i don't really just make a difference to me um okay i feel like we gotta I, I feel like we gotta specify a little bit so like are we including like movie monsters like is alien a villain technically uh we could do that if you want sure um, okay, so I feel like the layup here is the Joker, you mm-hmm. know? Oh, it, in all of its incantations, or if in very specific incantations, I, I think the Joker is quite a great villain. Correct. Uh, Darth Maul, my favorite Star Wars villain of all time. Okay. Uh, then probably Griffith from Berserk, which is an anime series slash manga. Okay. Uh, that's three. Three, yeah. <sighs> You know, I actually used to really hardcore fuck with Boba Fett, but I feel like over the years that uh, we've, we've kind of grown apart. You know what I mean? And let's say that's kind of changed recently. I'll say that. Yeah, I'm not completely caught up with. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um. Who else was properly good? Hannibal Lecter. That yeah yeah that that's where I was going yeah. And did we count Alien already? I don't think you counted Alien already. No. Uh, then I will include Michael Myers on that list. Okay. Wow. Michael was, Michael doesn't even make my top 10, I don't think, actually. I, mean, I, I think the, uh, I think the stage presence is super important with the villain. That's important. Yeah. I guess it's true. You know, you, you gotta have like, um, there's very complex villains I have on there, like Griffith, Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. And then there's some that are just so damn iconic. Like, how could you ever, like, not? Yeah. I, I could, I could definitely, definitely see that. Interesting. All right, so mine, uh, no particular order such as yours. Uh, I'm going Darth Vader. Yes, I know he turned over to the other side, but it's almost even more scary that he had all, he done all this evil with the good kind of deep underneath. So Darth Vader's on that. Hannibal Lecter, just because he's so goddamn sinister and, uh, yeah, just makes you, makes you uncomfortable. Agent Smith from the Matrix. Just because, just because he was just, he was just trying to turn down the whole entire simulation. He said, fuck this. <laughs> Basically. Um, you know what? Hmm. Do I want to put, do I want to put Michael on it? Cause like you said, the stage presence is important, but he's been very hit or miss throughout the majority of his run. Hmm. Yeah, we'll put Michael Myers on there just because I love him. Yeah. And, and you know, I'd, I'd even argue that Jason is more like iconic as a symbol, but Michael just kind of you know delivers on the uh, violence that we kind of need. Do you think? But Jason's more iconic because of the mask. 
Definitely. Yep. Okay. Definitely. It's a hockey mask. You yeah. know what I mean? Now, every time you look at a hockey mask with red markings, you're going to think Jason. Yeah. And that was both genius on their part and kind of slimy, but genius mostly. Yeah, for sure. Okay. That's true. And last but not least, obviously the Joker. All right. And I was kind of using this as a springboard for the next topic, which is we have received some stills and subsequently a trailer for the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League. Now, I could hear people collectively rolling their eyes, uh, and I consider myself part of that. <laughs> but uh, this take on the Joker is something a little bit different than uh, we got with the Suicide Squad film. And basically, uh, how would you best describe this, Gabe? It looks like if they took the Joker... Uh, if they took Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and tossed him in an asylum at the end of the movie, uh, it's very like uh, there's heavy saturation of that like yellow orange color over mm-hmm. the filter, mm-hmm. and man, it looks fucking creepy. Yeah, he um, he's looking less purple pimp and more psychopath, <laughs> which I think is something that was desperately needed. Uh, especially with Jared Leto's uh, you know original take on this iconic character. But oh, speaking of Jared Leto, uh, I was on a walk today and I saw a dead possum. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> well, he used to mail the cast of Suicide Squad. Oh my god! You're, rip, right? you're ridiculous. Anyways, um, so yeah, and I think you mentioned that he's like it's very crow like. It looks like the crow a lot, and I'm like, yeah. It does. And that's why it's fucking awesome. He's also got all the scarring all over his face. So as opposed to those horrible mumble rap tattoos he's got on his face in the, in the suicide squad version, he's got like scars all over his face, which is, uh, very, very cool. Um, now I don't know why this wasn't the tape they took with, um, suicide squad. And, uh, it even bums me out even more is that obviously, um, this is not, Canon Joker, quote unquote, because this is the Zack Snyder cut. I don't know how we feel about the Zack Snyder cut of these things. Like, you know, is like, do we consider it the real thing or is the movie that they launched it the real thing? I don't know. Uh, I'm in this camp that it, well, if it was so great, it would have made the cut. You know what I mean? So I don't know how I feel about it. Overall, I just do want to say that the design for this was like really, really, really well done. I, I, I am digging the look, but, um, it, again, it's one of those things. It's like the deluxe album talk, right? Like if you had these songs written, Right, like I'm looking at you, Ice Nine Kills. If you had these songs written, why didn't they? Why didn't they drop on this album? Right, you know, it could still be a bonus track, right? Yeah, on the same CD because that's what it fucking used to be. Yeah, I I have to agree with you on that. So I I don't know. I don't have HBO Max at the moment, but we have something on this list that will make me get HBO Max in a little bit. We'll talk about it. Uh, So Pedro Pascal (laughs) in Last of Us. Yes. Yeah. So he's going to be playing Joel. They have the other girl playing Ellie. I forget her name. She's not unimportant. Um, But yeah, so this Last of Us is is HBO 2 as well, right? I think. Yep. And they pick Pedro Pascal, who is obviously uh, famous from The Mandalorian and Game of Thrones. And uh, this is who they picked to play Joel. What are your opinions on this? I dig it. I think he has the uh, the chops to make the cut. Uh, can you tell I've been watching a lot of cooking shows? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he, he definitely has like the gritty sort of look mm-hmm. that we want in a The Last of Us adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it, but this is your series, so yeah. you know your opinion is going to weigh a little bit heavier than mine on this. Yeah, so... Um, 
I don't mind Pedro as an actor. I think he, like you said, I think he kind of has that edge to him that it's going to be needed, but I don't know if visually he's similar enough to Joel for me to call him Joel, if that makes sense. Because obviously it's a game that like tried its best to make a person look like a person really bad or make these characters look like people really bad. And, and did it, a very good job at that. Too. Yeah. Especially in the most recent, recent one. Um, so it's not exactly what I pictured. Now, do I think he can pull it off? Yes. Like basically what you said, like I feel like his chops, his acting ability will be able to cover the material fairly well. Uh, I'm just curious on storyline wise what they're going to do because I believe the original report was, oh, yeah, we're going to do the Last of Us series, but it's not going to be about Ellie and Joel. Um, it's going to be about a different group of survivors during the same event during the games obviously um but then it came out that it is an ellie and joel story which at this point um i'm a little apprehensive you know what i mean sure. I'm, a, I'm a little afraid of what they're gonna do um just because the last of us 2 was such a mixed bag uh, when it comes to storytelling and uh the good and the bad and the ugly so to speak uh i don't know I think somebody said this, and I don't know if I necessarily agree, and this is more video game talk than anything else, but they said The Last of Us 2 basically ruined The Last of Us 1. And I don't know if it was that bad, but there is something to be said about character and character integrity that they made a little bit of a harsh left turn on that. So um I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I'm still going to watch it, and I'm still going to critique the hell out of it when I see it, I'm sure, or love love it to death, one of the two things. And uh, we'll, we'll have to see. It's funny because the like, the IPs that we love the most, I feel like we judge the hardest. But like the people we love the most, we judge the least hardest. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's a weird thing. Moving on to IPs that I, Mr. Goob, mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're making a Borderlands movie and they mm-hmm. got Black, uh, Jack Black to play Claptrap. Um, so I know <laughs> you didn't make it very far in the series. Uh-huh. But Claptrap is this little annoying robot, robot that yeah. turns as comedic relief and as kind of tutorial help. And the fact that, get, that they got Jack Black to fucking voice him, <laughs> I'm all on board. I don't even care about the rest of the casting. <laughs> you need two and a half hours of Jack Black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. actually, I'm kind of on board with this one as well. Uh, I think it's an interesting pick. I mean, I think I, as far as the delivery of those lines, I think Jack Black is going to nail those lines. And uh, like you said, I could picture like a super ro- robotic like filter over his voice and hear him just spewing bullshit. Uh, I can see it working. Uh, it's a, it's a big pickup for them. I mean, this is a video game movie and for nine times out of 10, they don't turn out very well. So, uh, I have hope. I have hope for the Borderlands movie and I think it's gonna, 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 gonna be good, you know? Hopefully. So speaking about, uh, video game movies, we got the Mortal Kombat Red Band trailer this week. Um, okay. So initial impressions? Tread lightly, Gabe. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I will. I, I I feel like uh, the issues I have aren't major ones. Okay, okay, good, good, good. All right, so let, let's talk about the initial impressions of this. Um, it's just first off, it's just silky smooth, right? Um, I would because it's it's kind of weird when you do Mortal Kombat movies, you have to kind of. I'll blur this line because obviously it's very magical and fantastical, but it's also based, quote unquote, in the in real world. Arts. Yeah, in martial arts, the real world, quote unquote. Uh, so like when you think about ninjas and costume and stuff, you're thinking like, well, they could only go so far when it comes to like the level of cheesiness. Now, the original Mortal Kombat film didn't give a fuck. It was just a one for one copy, you know? Um, uh, 
But now, obviously, they have the ninjas as an example with a practical kind of look, but also still very Sub-Zero and Scorpion. I'm going to say that I am on board with this. I was – it wasn't necessarily something that I was looking forward to. Now it is. And the trailer really did a great job of uh, setting expectations. And uh, I'm in, bro. I, they just made Sub-Zero look so badass. And the fact, just due to that fact alone – I'm in. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, I, I want to hear what, what, what your, uh, what your issues are with it though. All right. Yeah. So the trailer opens up with Sub-Zero encountering Jax right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a cool way to introduce two characters, but I also thought it was kind of, um, I feel like that would have been a great, like, wow moment mm-hmm. in, to see in theaters where this unnamed soldier gets both of his arms ripped off. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh, this is Jack. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like that would have been like a cool little reveal, even if it's in the first 10 minutes of the fucking movie. I can see that. Um, my, uh, some of my issues here, right? First okay. of all, um, a very forgivable one because he is quite annoying. Where the fuck is, uh, Johnny Cage? Yeah, that's the one that I'm seeing a lot of on the internet. Uh, what people are saying, and I'm, I hope to God that it's not true, that this new character, this Cole character, is going to some way, somehow turn around and be Johnny Cage. But I was telling the woman this because we were having a conversation about it. I'm like, you can't have serious mixed martial artists become cheesy actor. The, the thing with Cage is that he's a goofball 99% of the time, but Correct. when it comes down to like – Sonya or Life and Death or mm-hmm. Friends, he's the, he's that's the guy. when he gets serious, mm-hmm. right? Like, he'll get it done. But yeah. literally every other time, it's just not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, my my other one was like this Cole character. Okay, I don't need to know who he is at this very moment. Mm-hmm. But it felt like they were setting him up to be like Kung Lao or Liu Kang, dude. That's, what, that's the yeah. kind of vibe I got off of it. Yeah, that that's a little concerning to me as well uh, that he almost – I mean, I get that because they, they basically ask the guys, well, like, what new characters, what are you guys going to do? It's like, well, Mortal Kombat's a franchise built on introducing new characters. And, yeah, I get that. But at the end of the day, Liu Kang wins Mortal Kombat. <laughs> you know? Like, that's that's the deal. And you and I have complained about that in the past, right? Um, but I think it's still important to mention that that is very important to what Mortal Kombat is, is that eventually Liu Kang some way, somehow – Wins the same thing. And like you said, this Cole character, granted they didn't show a ton of him in the trailer, but it doesn't feel like he's positioned as a side character. It seems like he's positioned as our main protagonist. He, he's one of the few that was named in this two-minute trailer, which is of note. Yes. You, know, you don't name your side characters in the fucking trailer. Correct, yeah. Um, but with that being said, uh, to address the Johnny Cage comic relief thing, I feel like Kano is going to take up a lot of that. Yeah, another one of my issues. I don't like the casting for Kano. You don't like him? No. Okay, that's interesting. It feels kind of campy to me. What I mean? Well, the thing is, is that they they, they couldn't pick a guy better than the first guy that they picked in the original movie, and he's dead. So, (laughs) I mean, absolutely fair. But for fuck's sake, can we get a can we get like a buzz cut at least? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I get the other thing. My other thing is right. Um, and I'm not a Kano fanboy here. I think he's a good staple to any MK game, but if he doesn't make the cut for one, I'm not going to be upset. Mm-hmm. Um, Kano's stocky. This dude is fucking lanky. Is he really? Yeah, dude, he's thin. He looks like me when I was like <laughs> when I was a gym rat. And his hair, like, come on, dude. The ha- the hair is really what gets me the most. I can forgive like the thin, okay. right? Because that's on the actor, yeah. but like. 
Dude, the fucking hair! Okay, so he has beef with the hair. I get you. Yeah, Kano's, like, in the games is built kind of like a fucking, fucking wrecking ball. You know He's what I mean? like Josie. Yeah, exactly. He's just this big, stocky, kind of short, but just jacked and ripped to the gills. I can see that. But as far as, like, a narrative standpoint, I feel like he's going to take a lot of the fun, the funny moments. He's going to be taking care of those. Um, he looks like, um, uh, the Aquaman ripoff from The Boys, which is a phenomenal show if you haven't seen it. Already. Yeah, I'm getting to it. It's on my list. Um, and then, um, here are my, like, so this next one, um, I guess is a little forgivable. Um, the costumes look cool. Mm-hmm. However, oh, here we go. Sub-Zero's mask is ill-fitting. There's a lot of gap between his face and where the mask ends, and it looks terrible. I wouldn't say that there's a gap, and just the mask itself looks bulky. His entire outfit looks bulky. Yeah. It, he, he, he's built stocky, mm-hmm. and that's fine. We've seen stocky Sub-Zeros, mm-hmm. but we've also seen the thin latex cloth, super slimline Sub-Zero with the blue accents. You know what I mean? Yeah. For I'm sure. gonna I'm gonna need you to, to refine that fucking even if it is like post production touch up like dude like just make that thing fit a little bit better it looks mm-hmm. like it looks like uh like a B plus cosplay done at home yeah it doesn't I, look I like a that. movie costume and then my biggest gripe oh here we go um you're always the Sub Zero fan I was always a Scorpion fan um that get over here holy shit dude. not great not not great. No. Not good, period, dude. Yeah, not if great. Gonna, if you're going to reveal that line in the trailer, dude, and you don't have, like, James Earl Jones doing the voice, <laughs> you know, like, not even him. Not just even him, right? Boone. Just have Boone do it. Boone has done it since the beginning of time. Right. But <laughs> but my my point here is it's it's that – that is, like, the – like, finish him, get over here, and Toasty are, like, the three <laughs> most iconic Mortal Kombat lines, period. Yeah. Right? There's no, like, arguing that. Mm-hmm. And, and just – I felt like I felt like the actor did it himself, whereas it should have been a voice actor doing it, and that was superimposed over the footage. Or just Boone. should have been done. Or just have yeah, or, Boone. Just have Boone yeah. do it. <laughs> uh, like, like I'm saying, like Boone is a voice actor. He's you know may, maybe not the widest range in the world, but he's certified <laughs> done it before. He's got Scorpion, it, and that's it. <laughs> I, it, it feels like. It feels like this is what their casting choice was for for a majority of these characters. It looks like they picked out actors that were fit, which is a necessity. Mm-hmm. And then they, it looks like they picked out actors that have martial arts choreographing before. Again, mm-hmm. a necessity if you're trying to do like a serious take on MK. Correct. But the voice, oh my god! Like it, like I said, it feels like the actor playing Scorpion did that voice. They ran it through a tin can simulator and then they dropped it an octave. Well, it does not sound good. Well, maybe they could fix it. Maybe. Cause like, uh, it's a similar, it is fixable. It, it is, is very fixable. It is a similar complaint from like, remember when uh, Dark Knight Rises was coming out and everybody's like, I can't understand a goddamn thing Tom Hardy said and they fixed it. I'm hoping yeah. it's kind of in that vein. I do think that when it comes to those particular lines, especially the ones that famous, that Scorpion is famous for, it, it needs to be Boone screaming, get over here. You know what I mean? But it, it did not sound great. And now my wife's like, well, it sounds like he's behind a mask and he's wearing a mask. He's like, yeah, I know that. But he also has flames coming out of his sword. You know what I mean? Like, can we not draw the line at certain realistic things and fucking adjust the things that are important here? Because that is important. You know, Scorpion screaming it over here is important. It has got to sound like it's got to sound like it's like we expected because that, especially the way it was positioned in the trailer, it was positioned as like, okay, here we go. You know what I mean? And it didn't sound great. 
And uh, I, I kind of feel you on that. I have some complaints when it comes to the roster. Um, first of which, or second of which, I get in the original like Mortal Kombat game, Kano was like a tweener, right? Uh, but now he's straight up on the Earth Realm Defender side. Uh, don't get that. Sub Zero was also kind of a tweener, uh, but apparently he's not straight on the Outworld side. Yeah, you know. Uh, it looks like Scorpion's going to be the tweener in this one. Yeah, it looks like Scorpion's going to be the tweener. Now, they picked a great actor for him physically, especially with his facial features. Oh, yeah. Um, so and cheekbones, that's yeah, what does it. Absolutely. Um, and I don't like how Shang Tsung looks. He doesn't seem intimidating at all. He doesn't have uh, the Gary Tozawa, like that that menacing look to him. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, to be fair, we, we did only see that scene for like a second or two. Yeah, I, I know, but I, I don't know. And Raiden... Uh, yeah, uh, same same vibe with Xiao, uh, Shang Tsung. I'm sorry, it's yeah. just like it doesn't feel like a god. Yeah, it, it's it's just a weird thing. Rated, I mean, maybe because I'm just used to Highlander doing it, but uh, Christopher Lambert doing it, or but you could have made Raiden look, maybe give him a beard, make him look a little bit more godlike or something. You know, it's just a cleanly shaven Asian man, and I don't got no problem with that. But um, I don't know, they could have done Annie here, man. Mortal Kombat is is known for its over the top, over the top bombacity. Like you guys. You have to translate that into movie form. Yeah, correct. Uh, but that's like my main complaints is that some of the, oh, and my, my, my last complaint. Apparently Melina's in this joint and there's no Katana. That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, either include the three sisters or don't include any of them. Because, exactly. Uh, uh, again, Reptile's not here, which is fine. I don't like Reptile, but come on, dude. Finish the little, uh, the little triangle here. The, uh, all the characters that should have, that were in the original game should have been included in this. Now, for whatever reason, um, like I get for like for like uh, TV media purposes, they love Jax for whatever reason. I don't know why, but Jax should very marketable. Yeah, Jax should not be here. Johnny K should be here. Melina should not be here. Reptile should be here. You know what I mean? Um, and everybody's allegiances, allegiances should be in the the correct order of things. You know what I mean? For the first game, and I get it, we kind of done that before, um, but even like. The first movie, the original movie, it had people who were not in the in that game in the movie. They had Katana in that. You know, they had a couple of other situations. Like, it's just a weird, weird thing. Um, and I hope that that's. I hope at the very least we get like a Katana mentioned because it doesn't make any sense to have Melina without Katana. Just doesn't make any sense. So now Jade, I could kind of understand. Fine, maybe not committing to having Jade in the game. The reptile of the sisters. Correct. Yeah, I get. Correct. Yeah. So. Um, Kind of, kind of a weird thing. But overall, I am uh, tremendously optimistic about it. It is dropping in April, which is a couple months from now, which is going to be the reason why I get HBO Max. So we are very, very excited. My life was actually she's like, well, yeah, it actually looks very, very good. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. So I, I'm on For board. a Mortal Kombat movie, it looks phenomenal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think already it's, it's the best Mortal Kombat. Maybe outside of Rebirth, Mortal Kombat Rebirth from a couple years ago, that little fan-made thing that dropped, uh, yeah. it might be the best-looking Mortal Kombat thing that we got. So um, hopefully it's good, and um, hopefully it can maybe spawn a sequel or two. You know how I feel about Mortal Kombat. It's one of my favorite gaming franchises of all time. I care incredibly about these characters, and uh, I want it to be good. So we'll see what happens. Cool. Speaking about uh, sequels, spinoffs, and remakes, uh, Emma Stone is Cruella de Vil. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we feel? Uh, she looks the part, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like uh, this is a Cruella-focused movie. Like, it's not 101 mm-hmm. Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I like it. Give me, I feel like we need more stories that are like quote unquote spinoffs, but it's from somebody else's perspective. Yeah. I started watching a show called The Magicians on Netflix, which is uh, a really good show. Mm-hmm. But in a, in one of the episodes, um, one of the dudes is like a librarian, right? Mm-hmm. And so he reads the books of everybody's life as they're living the events. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because the episode was divided into sub-episodes of the six characters. Mm-hmm. And so you got to see the same events unfold six different times but through six different perspectives. Okay, And that's something I did very well. And I, I feel like... Maybe this is something that Disney should take note of if this movie does well and it's done well. Um, then give me like Lion King from Scar- somebody else's POV. Scars. Yeah, from Scars POV. Give me like Lilo and Stitch from, um, uh, what was his name? Tweakley's like POV, right? Give, give me fucking Aladdin or give me a Jafar origin story. Yeah, there, there you go. Like, you know, these, these things, um, the ideas don't take much work. You just mm-hmm. kind of pivot a little bit. Right. Yeah, and, and, and it gives. See, that's the thing about my. You and I have talked about this before. That's the thing about these Disney remakes that that uh, I have a problem with is that ultimately there's no reason for them to exist. You know what I mean? It's just the retelling with new actors, and, new yeah, actors, right. new effects, all that good stuff. You and I mentioned when Aladdin came out, it's like, why not call it Jasmine and make the story about her? Yeah, you know what I, I mean. I feel like it's easy to do that. Plus, you have big events and a, a whole ass backbone, right? Mm-hmm. Like every scene that she was with Aladdin in, now you have a rough structure for the movie. Now fill in the gaps. Correct. Yes. And, and give her her own, her own trials, her own tribulations. You know what I mean? Um, as an example, now with this, Cruella DeVille, I like the fact that you, like you said, it is kind of like an origin story. We're seeing her kind of come up. Um, and I think Emma's zone looks great. But my problem is, and this is just a me thing, I don't really particularly care about Cruella DeVille as a villain. So, um, you know, it looks good. I'll probably see it, um, but I'm not particularly excited about it because it's just a, a villain that I don't care a lot about. Give me a Gaston origin story, though, and I'm in. Uh, Gaston's origin story is that he's just an asshole. He played football <laughs> in high school, and he continues to live off that whole, oh, I would have been in the um, NFL if it wasn't for my torn ACL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Uh, but so – like I said, I'm glad that it is kind of a different perspective because, like you said, though there is that nod to like Dalmatians being like, fuck this, fuck this chick, you know, growling at her and shit. Uh, but it does not look like a retelling of a 101 Dalmatians. And you can't make her likable. She's trying to kill dogs. So, um, yeah, I- I'm with give, it. Give me, uh, give me a Aristocats remake, but the point of view is from the, the geese, the two drunk geese. It's one drunk geese. But oh right 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 yeah yeah that so honestly like give me the Aristocats from the Butler's point of view he was right <laughs> you know what I mean the, yeah there you go there's a, there's the next movie they're gonna remake he, he 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 was taking care of this lady her whole life and her cats and seemed like a good employee and when it was time for the, all that to pay dividends and for her to make her will she lifted all to her fucking cats I'd be pissed too you know what I mean yeah. so uh-huh. I, I'm with it. Is all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, you know, how about this? How about uh, we make a podcast game out of this for the next episode where old tales and we twist what the story is, as in, like, do, like, this POV swap. Okay, we can do that. Put it out. Yeah, just come up with, like, three or four, and then we can bang them off left and right. All right, put, put it down for the, for, the, for the agenda. That's what we'll do. 
Cool beans. Uh, moving on to gaming. Uh, Sony delayed. That's what the words say. I don't know what they mean. Explain. So I wanted your opinion on this because right now out of the, the Sony camp, it's looking like they're not going to be at um, unit numbers when it comes to their, their, the, the five. It doesn't look like they're going to be where they want to be until mid-2022, which is a year from now. Uh, with that being said um, – People are wondering whether it'd be smart on their end to delay their first party games. Because people, no, people don't, because people don't have all the, the, as many people that they want to have their console don't at this moment, whether it be from production problems, pandemic, whatever it may be, there's not enough consoles out right now, right? And if they were to release a big first party game, like a God of War, as an example, which is due to be done this year, uh, out this year, um, do they put a delay on it intentionally to make sure that everybody who wants to play it will be able to play it at release? Uh, there's like I feel like there's two or three schools of thought for this one. Okay, the delay is kind of the obvious one, right? Mm-hmm. Where you if you have only twenty percent of PS5 wanters owning one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, people are just going to end up watching a playthrough or reading spoilers and never picking up the game. So, mm-hmm. in turn, the studio also suffers along mm-hmm. with PlayStation, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's also the, um, I guess, the kind of capitalistic mindset where mm-hmm. just fucking make them crank out more, right? Like work overtime, which I'm not in favor for, but it is it is a school of thought. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I guess, the a semi-obvious solution, depending on technology. Why not release it on old and next-gen, like PS4 and 5? This is what they did for the 3 going into 4, for the 360 going into the 1. And it was like one of those things where for a couple of years, you could buy it on either platform. Do you think – like I'm going to use God of War again as an example. Do you think the new God of War, which was already – the previous God of War was already pushing the limits of what the PS4 can do. Do you think that they would be able to port that over – to the to the four, for See, the new one. Now I feel like if it was a this is made for the PS5 now make it work for the PS4 then no. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know the contract details. Maybe Sony did indeed say like, hey, support the PlayStation Four until this year. You know what I mean? So maybe there is a PS4 version out there with slightly less beautiful assets. It's one of those things where. This happens every time we get a new fucking set of next gens, mm-hmm. right? It, literally every fucking time. You just cannot buy them for the first couple of months. And I feel like if they didn't account for this, especially with, you know, like um, first person titles or, um, you know what I'm getting at. Um, mm-hmm. If they didn't account for this, then that's on them. Well, well I don't it's, think it's, 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 it's not exactly the same of it's flying off the shelves. Therefore, we, we know and we can't keep it's going to be a, a year and a half. <laughs> that the console's been out that people can't get a hold of it due to production problems and a pandemic. So it's not exactly uh, the same. It's not a one for one. And and this is one of those things where it's like um it's like Star Wars. You're damned if you do, you damned if you don't at the moment. You know what I mean? They can do absolutely nothing and release everything as scheduled and people are gonna be upset. Or they can do as much intervening as they like, and then if they do delay God of War, now your God of War fans are gonna be upset. Yeah, but at this rate, a lot of these God of War fans aren't going to be able to play it on the console as originally designed for anyways. <laughs> so well, you, will, so yeah. you lose some. I, I have no investment in this fight, mm-hmm. but and I'm not the CEO of Sony. I just know they're moving out of Japan soon as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. So, I, dude, I don't know. Run the numbers. Do what's best for it. If you got a delay, then delay. If, um, you know, if you, it, it depends, you know, like fuck over your fans or fuck over your publishers. 
Yeah, I, I think um, it might be in their best interest just to delay all the big first party games in the meantime, and also maybe give the guys like like give fucking um, Santa Monica Studios like another six months of development. They're gonna just polish every little fucking thing, every little nook and cranny is gonna be absolutely gorgeous by the time the game comes out. And I yeah, trust but them with if that. Sony normalizes this. And that's just going to be standard procedure for games. You know, the, the, oh, it's dropping on this date. And then, you know, everybody's just going to be like, oh, well, not actually, right? Like, none of those release dates are actual. It's going to be like a six months to a year after that, that it's actually going to be dropped. So if we have a, a giant company like Sony normalizing, pushing back dates, right? Then what's to stop literally everybody from doing it? I wouldn't say it's normalizing it. It's just due to these circumstances that nobody anticipated. Sure. I yeah. mean, fair enough argument, but yeah. like I said, if Sony pulls it, you know damn well everybody under the fucking sun is going to pull it. This is probably true. I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see, but that is the ultimate question. Uh, let us know. Uh, you know, get us an email uh, and let also, us know what your opinion on it. Well, one more thing under that same train of thought, right? Because we've talked about how EA cannibalizes their like subsidiary companies, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if Sony, right? Because if the publisher says we need more time, that's kind of different. But mm-hmm. if your like platform says you need more time what's to stop literally anybody from just doing that at endum you know until interest in the game is lost because we've talked about um the uh, the last star wars game uh, mm-hmm. uh and how ea tried to kind of sweep it under the rug how there's no promotion for it and they were like nah this will never work i'm gonna ensure it never works fall in order yeah, Fallen Order. Thank you. Um, what what's to prevent that from happening again? You know, and Fallen Order did well because a it was a good game and b it was Star Wars. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's to you know what what's to say? And I'm not picking on anybody in particular right now, but for like example's sake, what if uh, Microsoft picks up some weird like you know indie game development studio and they think that their new game is not going to make money, and so they make it not make money and they just keep delaying it and then suddenly nobody gives a shit about the game anymore. My my thing is that why why do that? You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm I'm right there with you, but you know damn well it happened uh, yeah, right in front of us too. Yeah, yeah like you said, it, it happened. It happened to Fallen Order, and Fallen Order was successful in spite of. The, the 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 publisher, which is just a it, it's such a strange thing, and I, I I don't know why people do it. Um, it's just frustrating because a, a lot of times those games are the ones that are well done, and then we end up in a situation like fucking Cyberpunk, where everybody and their mama wanted it out and about, and now nobody's playing it because it's just a broken shell of itself. I don't understand gaming media and or publishers point of view i think you and i could all kind of agree that publishers are kind of the devil <laughs> when it comes to these things uh and i, I don't even know what to say about it <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm uh there's a lot to kind of digest here but speaking about digesting tell me about no man's sky all right so no man's sky uh, we talked about it in the past. Basically, you know, you guys get it. it. It was a game that had a lot of hype behind it and essentially wasn't ready. God, that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, basically was released, uh, to a lot of critic, uh, critic, ah, I don't even know what I'm looking for. Basically everybody bagged on it, right? And, um, apparently, Hello Games, which is like a small team, has continued to work on it and make it the the game the closest they can get to what they originally promised. And today, I can say it because I've played it, that they've done a very good job at this. 
All right. Now I know I'm reviewing No Man's Sky fucking four years, five years after it dropped, but I think right now it would be a good time for everybody to get into the game. All right. Now I got it on PC. It looks very good. Um, doesn't stream very good. We're not gonna get into that right now. Um, but it looks very good and I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm probably about, uh, eight to 10 hours in. Um, and it's just exploring. You know, and to me, it's one of those games like Minecraft or maybe like Subnautica because I know you were a big Subnautica person, right? Uh, well, I am, yep. Yep. Um, where it's just like you don't really have to put a whole lot of thought into it. You're not running around shooting things. It's just collecting resources, uh, building things, crafting things, discovering, exploration. And- it's Minecraft but leaning more towards the adventuring side. Absolutely. And the, base- the fact that the game is not- – is- always growing and you know the systems are literally countless and um you could you could discover things that nobody else has you know I, and i love the fact that the game spawns you in some random random corner of the universe that nobody else has even been to yet and it's like okay this is your little corner of the universe uh let's teach you the game and they'll teach you up to a certain point then it's like okay uh it's on you you know you just go go have fun go explore the known galaxy and uh, I'm having a fucking shit ton of fun with it. Now, um, some minor complaints. I mean, I can't really give the game too much shit just due to the scope and the size of it. I just wish that they made planets look a little bit more unique. Uh, you could probably go from planet a couple of planets uh, around each other and they'll look relatively similar to each other. But uh, I understand just because it's impossible to give every single world its own identity. Uh, just due to the, the size of it. That'd be ridiculous. Uh, but so far, I've discovered a rain planet, which I like quite a bit. Uh, I think I'm going to start building on that. Uh, and I'm loving it, man. Like I said, it's just flying around and exploring. And I've been attacked in the in space already. And I didn't do so well. I just fucking ran. <laughs> and uh, I like it, man. Uh, so if it's a game that you have ever been interested in at one point in time, and maybe you never got it because of all the shit that it got, I think now would be a good time. I think it's cl- – like I said, it's definitely closer to the game that they've promised uh, when we re- originally heard about the game. And I'm looking for friends to play. So if you're out there and you want to play, go ahead and follow me on Twitch. We can get it going. And Gabe, if you're ever interested in getting it. Come on in. It'd be fun. Absolutely. Uh, two quick little things about No Man's Sky. First sure. of all, you said you did your review four or five years late. To be completely fair, the game that was released four or five years ago is not the same No Man's Sky as this No Man's Sky. Correct, yes. And second of all, um, I think you should check it out. But um, if you want a quick little like overview of what happened to No Man's Sky and kind of the history behind it, uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, Internet Historian, has a really good, comprehensive, and funny, like, 40-minute little documentary about No Man's Sky and how they completely turned the fucking boat around. Yeah, man. So, that, that, that's Again, you and I have, you know, we've... We've harped on this. It's all about commitment. It's all about the love of the, of what you, what you built and wanting it to see where it wants, where it should, where you wanted it to go. You know what I mean? And they stuck with it. It would have been so easy for Hello Games to be like, all right, didn't work. And they were a small little, little company. They'd be like, okay, well, we got to move on to the next thing. We, it's not financially viable for us to hang on to No Man's Sky. And they stuck with it and made it a game that they can be proud of. And, uh, that's something to be commended, my opinion. Yep, reputation is priceless at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. So, uh, definitely, if you, like I said, if you've ever been interested, now's the time. Um, and, you know, explore. It's, it's a good time. I'm, I'm having a blast. Like you said, I kind of, I could kind of shut off my brain a little bit and just explore. And it's, it's a great time. So, I'm actually thinking about getting into my, getting back into Minecraft and starting up a server. <sighs> Here we go. On PC? Yep. Cool beans. So, um, let's yeah. talk some, like we haven't already. Let's talk a little bit about fighting games. Sure. Um, 
So I watched um, – every once in a while, this, these really cool recommendations will come across my YouTube feed. And uh, so this one, I watched this and I immediately plopped this on the uh, agenda. So it's a video by Vice, so you know it's going to be quality mm-hmm. off the bat. Uh, it's called Inside the World of Fighting Games by uh, their, like, sub-company Reset. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much kind of go through and analyze that, like, no other video game community – is like the fighting game community because in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, it started off as a, if you want to play in tournaments, you got to show up to like, you know, like arcades mm-hmm. and like locals and in some dude's basement and shit like that, things mm-hmm. of that nature. And so you get to meet a lot of these like like-minded people, people. like-minded people, top ranking, mm-hmm. like players, competitors and all that stuff. Yeah. And it dives into like the FGC and it dives into, um, oh, help me out here. I can't remember the name of the damn, uh, the expo. Evo? Evo, thank you. Yeah, and it dives into Evo and stuff and, you know, how you see a lot of familiar faces and how they kind of promote shit talking. Like, that's half the battle. Yeah, popping off. That's part of it. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's a lot of upsides and a lot of downsides, but I think that at the end of the day, there's a lot of love. And Mm. even though things have transitioned into, especially with the pandemic, a lot of, like, online play at the online tournaments Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, face-to-face, I think – I think if, if you've ever been involved in a fighting game, if you ever had stake or interest, whether you have played professionally or not, um, I think you should check out the video, man, because it, it really kind of sums up what it means to be invested in a fan of a game like Tekken, Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat, Street Fighter, uh, mm-hmm. Killer Instinct, Guilty Gear, whatever the fuck it may be, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, emotion that they invoke in a very like good way. So, yeah. like I said, the, the name of the video is called Inside the World of Fighting Games. Mm-hmm. It's by Vice. Check that out. But a uh, quick shout-out to people like Adventure, Maximilian Dude, uh-huh. uh, you know, Sonic Fox, all our top-ranking motherfuckers. Yeah, um, man. It, like, I, I cannot – because, you know, you and I, we've talked about fighting games in the past. Fighting, fighting games in general are one of those things that you don't even have to be a fan of the particular game to find it entertaining to watch. You know what I mean? Like, uh, if you're into a particular shooter, you may not find every shooter entertaining, right? But me personally, and I speak for myself, I'm not a Tekken player. I find watching Tekken tournaments some of the most fun watching other people play games. You know yeah. what I mean? And the fighting game community is just so, such a tightly knit thing uh, because, like you said, it's one of the older genres of gaming. And back in the 80s and 90s, like you said, you're going to an arcade in a back alley somewhere or some dude's house and uh, you're playing and proving your worth uh, in front of other people. And like you said, popping off, being uh, slightly disrespectful is just part of the culture. And it's not even toxic. It's a weird thing, man. And um, yeah, it, it can be. It depends how far you take. It, right? it depends it's on the, one of those and, and the person for sure. But you know, both the sender and the receiver. I, absolutely. So, um, fight it, the fighting game community is just one of the. I, I call, call it one of the gold standards in gaming communities, just because, like you said, there's a lot of love there, and uh, and it's one of the older genres that we have. So um, it, it's very, very cool. And I will definitely check that out. Uh, I might have you send me a link to that because, yeah, I, I'm and, in. Uh, and to kind of harp on that, right, um, how many how many games have you sat down and looked at frame data for to get ahead <laughs> of the curve? You know what I mean? You're right. Because there's definitely people that look at frame data for, like, Easter eggs and shit like that or, like, mm-hmm. speedrunners, right? Like, mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of speedrunning videos lately. Okay. But to to outdo your fellow competitor – you know, frame data analysis 
is like the second thing you do mm-hmm. in your fighter of choice after unlocking all the characters if they're not already. And, and a lot of these games now, it's built into the game. Like you don't even have to do research anymore. Like it, the game breaks it down for you now. Which is just yep. a weird, weird fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I said, like I can't, I can't tell you that I've ever looked at frame data for like a Halo or Call of Duty, mm-hmm. right? Never. And uh, and one, one last thing, because you said it's fun to watch. You're damn right, it's fucking fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And as an example, I will use myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I consider Rainbow Six used to be one of my favorite games of all time. Boring as shit to watch the pros play. Um, oh, I'll say this. I cannot. Um, I cannot watch the pros play unless there is a very, very quality commentator breaking down yeah. kind of the train of thought. Mm-hmm. Because I find that interesting to sort of take it and implement it, right? Yeah. And the only other Rainbow Six content I can watch aside from like tutorials and like narrations mm-hmm. is uh, people like Boson Bunch that are very heavily edited. Mm-hmm. And you get gunshots to like the snare track in some weird EDM <laughs> song. You know what I mean? Where it's like, where it's like so ADHD, you're just enthralled. But. Yeah, dude, like, I don't go out of my way to watch people stream Rainbow Six. It's just, it, it's a fun game to play, but if you don't have, like, a gimmick or a purpose, mm-hmm. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And it's, like, it's that perfect medium, because, like you said, a game like Rainbow Six, which is a, a very large portion strategy, is not, it's not very um, digestible for, like, the everyday person, right? Because the everyday person just doesn't understand. You know, if somebody was... You know, a random person was, you know, going through Twitch on any given day and they come across a professional siege tournament. Um, there's too much strategy involved for the casual watcher to enjoy. And then the other, other spectrum, you got like Call of Duty, the Call of Duty Pro League as an example, where people try to overanalyze it, right? Where they try to pretend, oh, they did this because of that. It's like, no, they most likely did it because that was their first initial reaction. They didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. You know what I mean? Cause it's just so reactionary. Uh, when it comes to fighting games, they're perfectly in the middle. And the, uh, the, the skill level is very perceivable mm-hmm. through the way your character on screen moves in mm-hmm. the games. Correct. That, that is very, that's translated very well. Yeah. Let's keep it at that. For sure, for sure. So fighting games, again, I consider it the gold standard to any gaming community, uh, just because it's so tightly knit, regardless of the game that you play. And uh, like I said, a lot of love for, for, I think, I think, like, if you're a fan of, like, say you're a fucking Smash player, as an example, I think if you hear that another fighting game became the highest selling game on the market, you get excited because you know what's good for the community. Absolutely. So, um, that, that, that's something that, um, cannot get enough credit. So, good stuff on that. Did you put this next point on here or did I? You did. Oh, cool. What is the hardest game you've ever played? Uh, it has to be one of the Mega Mans or Castlevania. Uh, both very, very quality choices. Yeah. I remember booting up Symphony of the Night when it was uh, free on Xbox Live Arcade, and uh, I did not make it very far. I also remember uh, I used to go to this one dentist. He was like a kind of hip, cool, modern dentist. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, he had like straight-up arcade cabinets in the waiting room, mm-hmm. right? so I like never minded. Um, Ghouls and Goblins was really Oh, cool. my God. Yeah, and it was always um, – the wait was kind of long, so if you knew what you were doing, it was enough to finish the the first playthrough and then get you to the fuck you screen where it's like, haha, now do it all <laughs> now again. Now do it all again, you little bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like I've harped on this before, but um, I, I'm kind of itching to test my metal again with uh, the Dark Souls franchise. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and, and 
and, and let me th- let me throw this out there. I watch um I watch an assortment of YouTubers on an assortment of topics. Everything from like coffee science to fucking fighting game stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, w- one of my favorite YouTubers, who's also a modder in various communities, com- he he essentially um there was a lot of issues with the OG Dark Souls online, and mm-hmm. what he did was he made a mod to include like Halo characters. But not only did he do that, he completely fixed the game from the ground up. From all the shit, like he rebalanced weapons, rebalanced all, all the magics, added new spells, like removed old stuff. He essentially, like, not only did he fix Dark Souls, he made a completely new Dark Souls meta from his fixes, mm-hmm. and now that's like the like the gold standard. If you don't have the remaster to play that, interesting. And, it's it's crazy, right? This dude literally spent three months of his time breaking down the code, analyzing everything from top down, and making this a better game, right? Yeah. And that's not love. I don't know what love is, but I, I guess I brought this up because I'm itching for another playthrough, and I'm going to be a screaming. All right. Well, I, I need an update on that. I need to know what's the deal with that moving forward. Absolutely. Might, might fuck around and stream that, too. There we'll you see. go. Now we're thinking. Now we're enterprising. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about this last one. So I have not uh, used this product. We are obviously not sponsored by by them, but I wanted to bring it up because you and I like board games and we mm-hmm. like mysteries, right? Yep. So, so uh, it's Hunt a Killer. Let me fix that really quick. Hunt a Killer is a mailbox subscription service, which I'm super weary of because mm-hmm. I've been signed up to a few and they've been less than great. I know you've had luck on your end, mm-hmm. but here's how this thing works. It'll send you a series of boxes mm-hmm. every month, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is a mystery to solve every year. Some mm-hmm. of them are based on true crimes. Others are not. Um, and they send you, like, newspaper clippings, documentations, police reports. And so the idea is that every month when you get your box, you start formulating and you start spinning the yarn on the corkboard as to who it could be, possible mm-hmm. witnesses, and things of that nature. Um, and so, like I said, they send you one every month, and there's, like, a grand mystery throughout the year. There's forums to kind of discuss who done yep. what. Uh, you can play it alone. You can play it with your friends, which is like the great thing. And then what I thought was really fucking cool too was that uh, they have this whole thing like done. So it's not like a new developing story with crazy twists, right? Mm-hmm. It's like they'll sit down, they will write out the entire story, and they will mail you it piece by piece. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting impatient, you could just go, send me the rest of the goddamn boxes right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so I just thought it was this fun kind of uh, thing because, you know, we've spoken about the uh, escape room in a box before. We've seen mm-hmm. that. Uh, we've done escape rooms. We've done board games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a, a fun, like, true crime slash escape room slash board game. And it kind of takes the best aspects of all three that we enjoy and puts mm-hmm. it into a monthly subscription. So what are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm going to wait till next paycheck and maybe uh, maybe get, like, a series. Uh, well, let me know. I'll split it with you and we can knock it out as a family. Yeah, yeah, we can. You know what? We could actually, um, we, we could dedicate like spinoff episodes to just reading all this that's, stuff. That's what I'm saying. And then maybe yeah. have a conversation. Hey, we're stuck on this. What are you guys thinking? You know what I mean? So, it's yeah. Possibility. Um, I- like I said, it was, uh, they sponsored some YouTuber I watch mm-hmm. and, uh, she brought it up in passing and I was like, you know what, dude? That's actually a really fucking cool idea. You know, you know what pisses me off about it though? What? This is the second idea I've had that's been <laughs> done by somebody else. <laughs> there are no more original ideas left. Yeah, I know. I'm upset. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm in. Uh, like I said, let me know. Uh, we could split it and then we could knock it out here, your house, wherever you want to do it. Cool beans. Let's dive into music news and reviews because we've been delaying a couple things for a little bit here. Correct. 
All right, let's start this off uh, nice and easy. Um, I've been very, very hot this week, and I think I've caught the disco fever. Oh, um, God. I know that's the 70s, but, yeah. uh, it, you know, and um, let, let me <laughs> let me tell this story from the beginning, right? I'm sure. going very Tarantino about this. I'm starting in the middle. Um, so what started <laughs> this was that I recently saw uh, the full, like, uh, restoration of Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up mm-hmm. music video, right? And it's fucking weird to see everything so clearly and in detail in that goddamn bar it is unnerving jacob if you have not seen it <laughs> go rickroll yourself really quick you know what i mean yeah. it's, it's it's weird there's mm-hmm. just no way around it it's weird and then i was like on an 80s kick and i was like dude there's so much good music from the 80s like guns and roses to the cure to Def leopard to fucking soft cell so what's your favorite 80s song tainted love yeah, Tainted Love is properly fucking good. But now, now I'm going to throw a wrench in your plan. Uh, you have people like Queen releasing music. I guess it, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me. I consider Queen more of like a '70s band. They they span a lot of decades, you know. So it depends yeah. on what Queen song is competing here. Well, my favorite Queen song is Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm not fucking breaking any new ground with that. When did that come out? Bohemian Rhapsody. That's '78. Maybe like uh, seventy eight, maybe. Let's look it up. When did you come out, Lade? <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody song release date nineteen seventy five. See, so um, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is just one of the greatest songs ever. Period. So, like I said, not breaking any new ground with that. Uh, okay, well, I'm trying to think of because I feel like you, know, you could Huey tell me Lewis in the news. How about that? Ooh, Cindy Lauper. I don't know if you're a fan. Not really. She annoys me. Her voice annoys me. Fair enough. Um, uh, that one song. Come on, Eileen by uh, Daxie's Midnight Runners. Runners. That's yeah. definitely up there for me. The the king of the one-hit wonder is Daxie's Midnight Runners. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> Good song, though. I mean, I see. Here's the deal. You could tell me if I'm crazy, but I feel like I'm not. Has the 80s, like the 80s sound, not made a little bit of a comeback over the last, like, two years? Yeah, actually, it has because um, what's her face's song got remade. Um, Running up the hill, I think it was Kate Bush that did that. Yeah. Somebody did a cover of that within the last two or three years. Well, well, placebo did one. Well, placebo did a cover of one oh, up there. Yeah, I forgot about that. Do you ever? Do you ever hear it? Uh, briefly, yes. Well, do yourself a favor and listen to that thing because it's the most haunting. The way his delivery to that is just phenomenal. So, um, so because of the reason what about journey, cause journey is eighties as well. I'm not, I'm not crazy journey, bro. Rick James. Mm. Okay. What about Phil Collins in the air tonight is an 80s song. Okay. That's a, that's up there. Probably that's 81. Let me think. Oh no. Now you're going to fucking God damn you gave. Hold on. Gotta, on a prayer. Bon Jovi. 86. Uh, I mean, you could fucking even put Metallica on there. Uh, you could, you know, another mm-hmm. band that spans many decades. Mm hmm. Uh, but yeah, for me, like if you ask me to pick one song that you think of when you think of the eighties, it's it's tainted a lot. I wholeheartedly you uh, wholeheartedly agree with a song that captures the general like zeitgeist of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of bangers like Men at Work, Down Under. Like I will never not sing along to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> hold on, <laughs> hold on. Uh, that Pixie song, Where's My Mind, was also in the eighties. Uh, hold on. I'm looking up a song. God damn it. T- uh, Take On Me by Aha. When was that? 85. Oh, another good one, man. Another good one. 
uh, and Rick Astley, you know, yeah. it started off as a meme, but then you go back and listen to it. You're it's like, a good, song. it's a good song. <laughs> it's a good song. Sort of yeah. yeah. That's, it's up there. Uh, let me think now. Now, now you're in my brain and I don't yeah. like that. Uh, every breath you take by the police. That's a fucking good one too. A little bit creepy, but yeah, I mean the police bang, right? Yeah. And two uh, types. Michael Jackson beat it. Well, you could put anything Michael Jackson on there. Madonna. You could put anything Madonna on there. You know what I mean? Uh, Tina Turner and Bruce Springsteen as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sexual Healing, Marvin Gaye. Ooh. Ooh. That's a good one. And uh, When Doves Cry by Prince. God damn it. God. Yeah. Shit. Um, you can put anything Fight Pr- the Power, Public Enemy. Fight, I thought that was 90s. Fight the Power. Is it like 80, um, 89 or something like that probably? 88, something late? Let me Let me get an exact date on you. You're getting an exact date, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing our research on the fly, as we typically do on this show. Typically. July 4th, 1989. Okay, so 89, like I said. See? Close. That's close, free, but... Free Fallen, Tom Petty? Oh, that's a fucking banger right there. Uh, Modern Love, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Yeah. seven on that one. There's some good 80s songs out there, man. Like I'm said, just saying, it, it's been long enough. It's been 40 fucking years, right, since the beginning of the 80s. Let's, uh, let's get some of these back into circulation because, you know, they were cool, then they sucked, and now they're cool again. Yeah, like, but like I said, I feel like in, in modern radio, it's kind of taken a comeback. Like, even when you think of songs that are on the radio now, like uh, the, the weekend song, uh, Blinded by the Lights, like, that's straight up an 80s synthesizer. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Absolutely. Um, one quick little segue, and I promise we can get into metal music. Um, <laughs> Vice, Vice is doing a series of the story of, and it's usually like the famous hit songs. They did like um, I'm Blue by Eiffel 65. They did, they, did a, they did a lot of good ones, and they do the entire story. The I'm Blue one is phenomenal. I bet. Right? Because those, those dudes hated each other. And it was a total, it was a total flop for the first year, in fact. Yeah, uh, they recently – did one um in in this past week they dropped the episode on the thong song by cisco you remember that yeah yeah um so (laughs) you ready you ready okay so um it is based off of a sample of an eleanor rigby cover by west montgomery what yeah so it's based off of a beatles sample cover and then they got one of the violinists who did fucking star wars to do the violin (laughs) in thong song (laughs) Do yourself a goddamn favor and go watch that too. Oh my god, that's hilarious! I'm telling you, they take all these massive songs from different like frames of time and they just tell you the entire story from all the artist's perspective, from the producer. They did a Shaggy's "Wasn't Me" too. Again, another what what was total total fucking flop, and then a a random ass radio station in Hawaii played it and it blew up overnight. It wasn't me. Yeah. So. It wasn't me. Okay, sorry. Man, that's funny, man. I mean, I, I want to uh, see what I need is I need somebody to do a a breakdown on the deep meaning, the deeper meaning behind the thong song. That's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's fucked up. Anyways, yeah, let's get into some fucking metal music. This is you. Okay, so Gojira. Um, Announced that they are dropping a new album in April this year. They dropped two singles. Um, these dudes have been around for so fucking long and for such a good reason. Mm-hmm. Such good power, thrash, grime, all in one. Mm-hmm. Please, for the love of all that is French and good, 
um, like Surrender Flags, go check out their new singles because I've been a fan since like forever now. And uh, they just smack. They do. That, that's it. I got nothing more to present because if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Another metal giant is dropping an album this year. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Very, very cool. All right. Uh, hold on. I got to pull up the, the agenda again. All right. So Dead Awake, the end. All right. So uh, this is something that I got pulled up on my new for you weekly thing on um, Apple Music. And they are from Rockford, Illinois. So relatively close. And do we know these guys? We do not, I do not know them. No. Okay. At least as far as I know, unless it's some dude that I played with some basement show at one time is in the band now. I doubt it. Ten years ago. Yeah, ten years ago. Lord knows. But uh, yeah, so Dead Awake, the end. Uh, basically, um, just – I was telling Gabe, basically just the meanest little song ever. It's like a two-and-a-half-minute assault on your face. And it has like it a, is. Uh, it, it's grimy in a way that uh, – they call themselves deathcore, which I feel like is – it works, mm-hmm. right? But it's just like this new – I don't, I don't even know if it's new. It's a different breed of deathcore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you took the hardcore kids, you took a bunch of the punk kids, and you took like a lot of the nice, grimy, technical aspects of like traditional deathcore. Mm-hmm. And you were just like, well, fuck it. Go. You have a concrete basement, my friend. This is literally the best place you can record your music. It's, it's definitely more on the core end of deathcore, for sure. It has a little bit more hardcore elements than I think the most modern deathcore bands have. I feel like, um, but yeah, it's just a, a nasty little song with a, just an absolutely violent breakdown for no fucking reason. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good little track. Um, like I said, it came up in about in my, uh, my new for you. I actually, I, I'm going to bring back certified bangers at the end of this, um, sweet at the end of this I, run. I, I've got a couple I've been keeping in my back pocket. Yeah. So we're going to bring that back at the very end of this after the career and review, which I'm sure is going to be lengthy, which is why I'm trying to get there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so definitely check it out. Dead awake. The end. It is out now on every place that music can be found. Check it out. Nice little track. Uh, quick little thing. I want to see these dudes open up for like a band, like in spirit at like a Denny's in Boston. That's what I want. If you want to talk about aesthetic moves and good career moves, dead awake. If you guys listen to this shit, uh, book a show at a Denny's. There you go. That's bitching. What the fuck is up Denny's? Anyways, uh, next up, Advice of Men. They got a new track coming out. It's fairly good called Obsolete. Uh, I'm actually surprised that they're still making some quality music. Now, we talked about them in the past, and obviously they got other bullshit going on with their former frontman, who's completely out of his fucking mind. Uh, but do not sleep on these guys. Advice of Men is back, and they're going to be making some good music. Obsolete, cool track, nice melody, and uh, I'm surprised that they're still trying to do new unique things. So good for Advice of Men. I like it. I like it a lot. Let's move it along. Currents. The way it ends is an album I've been trying to review for like two months now. I finally got back to listening to it again this week. Uh, the Currents is, I would say, probably in what category? Probably like a C category normally, right? Uh, as far yeah. as like popularity, uh, people know them, but they're not like the first band that comes to mind. Uh, they released this album last year, and it is an absolute banger. Uh, they've definitely stepped up the sound, uh, the songwriting here. Um, it is a step forward for them. Um, now is it like the greatest album ever? Absolutely not. But what I am saying about Currents is that I'm very much looking forward to, um, their next step, right? Cause right now I feel like we're in the middle, like we're at the edge of the ladder for the guys who landed on the moon, right? They haven't quite stepped on the moon yet, but they're about to. And that's where Currents is at right now. Um, some really grimy, heavy, heavy moments mixed in with some beautiful cleans, um, 
and they're just doing God's work. So keep an eye on Currents. I have a feeling they're going to be a little bit bigger by the next time you hear from them. So Currents, check it out the way it ends. I'm going to give it a – let's do it a B. I'm going to give it a B. Uh, I actually saw Currents in 2019 – uh, or 2020, actually, uh, they opened up for Silent Planet and they blew me away, man. Their live presence is fucking like, you know, really good. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? For and, sure, uh, for sure. couple quick notes about this album. Production, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Lyricism, phenomenal. Guitar work, shreds. Mm-hmm. Bass work is there, which is important, right? <laughs> and, and drum work, it doesn't reinvent the drum kit, which is something I appreciate, mm-hmm. but they also make its presence very well fucking known. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in kind of the mix. Um, standout tracks, Let Me Live, Kill the Aches, uh, mm-hmm. what was the other one? Poverty of Self mm-hmm. and How I Fall Apart. Uh, it's like a solid, like, A, A minus for me. Okay. I actually really enjoyed it. I just think that there was a lot of fucking great albums that came out last year. And this, I don't want to say got swept under the rug, but it was one of those, like. Kind of got lost in translation. Y- not even that, man. It, it was standout, but like, because of all the new releases and all the shit going on in the world, it kind of got put on the back burner where you're still paying attention to it. There's still a flame open, but you got to focus on your meat now. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. For sure. I'm with it on that. So yeah, definitely check it out. Very, very good. Now it's time for Gabe to lose his mind for them. Probably about 25 to 30 minutes. Gabe, do your thing. You think so? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even know, man. You want to start? You want me to start? Well, okay. How about let's do this. What was your first experience with the chariot? Like they played, a, they played a show with Vanna and, 2000, let's say 10. And they played a show. That's the first time I went to the bottom lounge. And the shit was dumb in a good way. <laughs> and, uh, as far as seeing them open up for them, yeah. As far as seeing them live, it was it was absolutely insane. Now, I obviously had heard of them prior to that. I just hadn't never got a chance to see them. But for those who may not be aware, the Chariot is a band that was founded by Josh Skogan. Skogan, how do you say that last name? Skogan. Skogan, formerly of Norma Jean, one of the founding members of Norma Jean, right? And um, some say one of the better eras of Norma Jean was with him. So um, basically, uh, did he? What was what was the story behind it? Like, did he leave? Did he get kicked out? What what happened with the chariot with him? With um, him and- I, what he? I believe it was him saying, "I like Norma Jean. I love you guys, but I want to do something else." Mm-hmm. Because Norma Jean, at that point, they did very well, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they kind of got pigeonholed into making music that was of this similar sound. Mm -hmm. And Josh was like, no, I kind of want to break stuff. Correct. (laughs) In a creative way. Uh You know what I mean? So um, my first experience um, with the Chariot, they were one of the bands that was on um, like that YouTube rabbit hole in the early days mm-hmm. when you went down bands like, um, you know, you start off with big ones. So you start off with like Slipknot, right? And then you go into like smaller bands. So eventually you get to like, in, at, at that point in time, like Chelsea Grin. Mm-hmm. You get into bands like The Bled, which I found through YouTube, right? Mm. And then I think from The Bled, it segued into a Chariot song, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't think much of that. And that was 2005. Uh, six 2007 something mm-hmm. around there whatever youtube came out right uh-huh. and i i hopped back on when wars and rumors of wars came out and mm-hmm. that was like my first kind of um like hardcore like dive into this band because uh the, the track list actually got my attention so it's like one word a piece except for the bonus track which mm-hmm. is a bit 
Miss Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And from that point, I was just the Chariot fanboy, right? Okay. I would just be like, yo, dude, like if you need a cool, like weird band, because everybody who listened to metal at that time, you're either balls deep in like, you know, the metalhead forums finding weird, obscure shit, mm-hmm. or you just listen to the big bands like Metallica, Slipknot, you know, Disturbed at that time and shit like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Chariot was this nice, comfy in between all of this chaoticness. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, and it kind of took over at that point, you know, cause, uh, like this, you could argue, you know, you could say early event sevenfold was like core-ish, right? Mm-hmm. But like hardcore introductory points, the, the chariot was like one of my earliest memories of like, <laughs> this is what hardcore is. Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Everything is alive. Everything is breathing. Nothing is dead and nothing is bleeding. This is the debut album by the chariot completely recorded live. Right. So there was no second take. There was no overdub. There was no remastering. It was all one take. Let's do these songs. And that's it. Now, basically what this is, is it is, it is a symphony to all that is violent, all that it was fun in the time. And it's actually a kind of a, a jab because uh, Skogan named the album this to poke fun of really long song titles. Yeah, no shit. Uh, basically, the way I, if anybody asked me how to describe the first album by The Chariot, I always described it this way. It's if Norma Jean did meth. And that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of where we're at. Uh, just because it's so musically loose, but yet somehow still music. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's mean? a very common thread you're going to hear us harping on about the chariot. Yeah. Um, and somehow they found some way to still make it music and make it, uh, one cohesive kind of, uh, of a being. And, uh, like, honestly, it felt like a band with a bunch of talented individuals got together and be like, well, we kind of have a couple ideas. Let's just record them and see what happens. And, and, and then it came out as a fucking masterpiece. Like, yeah. A solid A class album. Yeah. Just a weird, weird thing that happened with this album. Uh, and of course you cannot go, um, talking about this album without mentioning someday in the event that mankind actually figures out what it, <laughs> what it is this world, this world revolves around. Thousands of people are going to be shocked and perplexed to find out that it was not them. Sometimes this includes me, which is the 13th longest song title with 38 words. Yeah, uh, fun fact, I actually got a chariot tattoo in preparation for this uh, Korean review, and uh, it is from this track. Oh, my goodness. You got the title? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I got the entire 38 <laughs> words. No, I actually got um, the line, my closet holds no bones. Okay. With, uh, with a skeleton and, and like a closet, because I thought it was fitting, right? But I thought it holds no bones. Yeah, that's just like the joke, right? Oh. I get it. I knew you, I knew you were going to poke at it. <laughs> I was like, I knew he's going to play. <laughs> but um, there's something beautiful about the unrefined era of bands. And um, you could even go as far as to say as the Chariot was never refined as a band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, want you, I want you to – here's what I'm going to hearken this album to. I want you to remember those, those good days in gym class where uh, the teacher was like, today is dodgeball day, right? <laughs> And uh, being an angsty teenager, you always had fun during dodgeball mm-hmm. days, especially if you were, like, not good at other sports because I was not great at sports, right? But mm-hmm. dodgeball, I was lanky enough that I could dance around balls thrown at me, and we would play in the wrestling gym. So I'd do straight-up front flips and dodgeballs, <laughs> and I would whip my ball at people, and I was, like, the hero for an hour. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, this, this, this is that dodgeball day where in 2004 
there was a precedent set for metal music and uh the scenes are starting to kind of uh fork in paths right mm-hmm. like we did um oh sweet baby jesus um uh, the last Korean review we did helped me here. I'm so bad with the names. The last today. Korean review we did was Chiodos. Yeah, so you got shit starting to branch, like Scary Kids, Scary Kids, Chiodos, and then you got like the bled, and then you got like all these like sub categories, and then here comes the chariot. Mm-hmm. And they not only pave their own path, they blaze the trail and burn all the bridges along the fucking way. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about strong openings, this is it. For sure, for sure. Just totally raw and uh, unkept. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch the the lyricism. I'm not gonna touch the production. I'm not gonna touch the tonage because if you go anywhere near that, you're gonna get radiation poisoning, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it was some ten pole, to, uh, ten foot pole type shit that you gotta touch that. But yeah, excellent. Let's go ahead and move it along. 2007, the fiance. Um. What to say, what to say. Um, Unrelenting Fury, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like this is the album where, uh, and forgive me for saying it so rudely, uh, Josh learned how to write really good lyrics. Mm -hmm. And and you still have a lot of that same kind of sass and sarcasm present. Mm -hmm. But you you go, you you look at the album top down. First of all, you have the fucking beautiful, beautiful artwork of Lord knows what the fuck. This is the fiancé. Right, I, I suppose the stream seen it, <laughs> and then uh, and then you, you talk about the the titles back to back. They face each other. They drew their swords and shot each other. The deaf policeman heard the noise and came to kill the two boys dead. Forgive me, Nashville, which is the weird one, and the trumpet. Um, there there is no containing a band like this, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you have um, you have the same themes that cross over from the first album that translate very well and it's very. <laughs> Go ahead. I just realized that this fucking makes no sense. <laughs> what, the song title? Yeah, well, the fact that it's like lined up together and it doesn't Forgive make... me, National and the Trumpet? No, no, just they faced, they faced each other and drew their swords and shot each other. You can't, I don't know. You can't shoot because they're drawing swords. Doesn't make any, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, just realized, right. I just realized that. The deaf policeman heard this noise like, oh my God, just, this is the first time I've actually put that together. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that, and see what I mean by like the sass and the sarcasm? <laughs> yeah, I got you. This is the point in time where I feel like the Chariot, um, in the first album, they were like that nice, uh, sharp, or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, not sharp yet, but it was like that nice glowing red orange molten bit of steel coming out of the forge. Mm-hmm. And the fiance is when the blacksmith starts to pound away at the blade and take shape. Right now I'm sounding like a Chariot song. You are, yeah. Pretty sure it was actually. Uh, pretty <laughs> sure. Uh, so, um, this this is a bit lower on my rankings. Mine too. Mine too. Um, which, which I mean is fair, but they do play a lot of these songs live. Like they play the Deaf Policeman all the fucking time. Well, that's the upside of having songs that are like a minute and a half a piece. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you need, you need to fill that time. That's what I'm saying. Um, it's a quintessential part if you're diving into the chair. You don't mm-hmm. have to love it. You don't have to hate it, but it's there, and you have to consume it at some point. Moving on to 2009 wars and rumors of wars. Teach evolved, need impress, never I giveth, banded daggers overseeing Miss Montgomery, Alabama three. Um, I've never said him like that back to back. It's a fun album. Uh, production is the key here. Um, that, this rhymes. Yeah. I, what the fuck? Am I, have I been missing? <laughs> have I been missing out? Have I not been paying attention, close enough attention to the chariot that I didn't realize that this shit's hilarious? 
And, and this is this is the beauty of the chariot, right? Because it is exactly what you want it to be. You want violence and chaos and distortion and cool effects. You go in there, you get that, right? But the moment the curtains kind of peel back and you see the man, Josh Scogan, mm-hmm. behind the curtain, you see the wizard, right? You realize that there's actually a lot of fucking thought and a lot of care given all all of their music before it's released, mm-hmm. right? And that's the beauty of it because you read these and they come up on shuffle and you're like, ah, yeah, teach, right? Like I love teach. Mm-hmm. And then you, you read it in order and you, you start doing your research on it and you get it. <laughs> you get oh, it. I'm so dumb. Anyways. Yeah. So this, this is a, a, another good one. Uh, I was kind of put it in uh, closer to the same category as the fiance. Uh, as far as musically, I would kind of put it in the same kind of category. And uh, as far as quality, very good, but not the best because the best is coming up next. Yeah, so 2010, uh, long live. Uh, this is like peak chariot. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, I don't think we ever figured out what the fuck the, the naming system was or what that was to ever represent. If you know, please let us know. But Evan fucking Perks, it is the one of the greatest mm-hmm. openers to any set ever. You yeah. want you want chaos. Un- you want unfiltered chaos. You open up with Evan Perks. And, I, okay, there's a couple things I want to talk about this album, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I've been repeating myself, right? But but it is violence. It is chaos. But you, you peel that back and you get a lot. You get a lot. And I feel like Evan Perks was the perfect song to open up this album with because there's a lot of fucking emotion in here. And it really conveys through Josh's voice. It's, it's one of those where, like... You know, you scream along to it like disappointed, I know you are, but mm. then like you're crying in the tub talking about disappointed, I know you are. <laughs> and you get it. You yeah. know, if there's anything this album does beautifully, it's emotion all the way through and through everything from Evan Perks to, to the King, which they bring out a trumpet for, which is the fucking badass. <laughs> Not, nothing short of badass, but yeah. This one was also recorded live, by the way. Um, if, if you're bored, go look at the music video for, uh, David Delahoe's. This, this, that was, that was one take. It's just so, it's just so wild in, in a way that nobody else but the chariot can do. Cause like, the, it's recorded live. Yeah. And it, it moves from room to room in the studio and they get, um, they get Dan from, uh, what is it? Defender or listener? I can't remember the name of the band, <laughs> but they get his magical listener. mustache in the studio. Listener. Yeah, they got Dan from Listener in the studio, and they do it all live, one fucking take, and mm. there's confetti blowing, and it's just, it it doesn't even sound like the fucking recorded song, in a good way. And, and it's funny, because, like, the thing that, like, if, let's say if another band were to do this the same way, they would, they would attempt to do these songs as cleanly as they can, right? The Chariot said, no, actually, on the contrary, we're going to try to do these things as sloppy as we can just so that you can feel that it's happening. It, it, it's, Excuse me. They fucking walk that fine line all the time yeah. of just of sloppy but yet deliberate and mm-hmm. technical. Yeah. And this album proves it. I mean, what's your favorite track off this album? Let's just fucking nose that. Evan Perks is the greatest song ever. Okay, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> uh, Evan Perks. Um, I like a lot. Obviously, David Delahose is just good stuff. The Earth. <laughs> uh, yeah. We got we got a bunch of standout tracks here, and it, it was just ridiculous, man. Like, cause like I said, nobody at the time. Like, cause you know the thing about music, especially during like this era, like the the Warp Tour era with like Attack Attack, where everybody was copying 
the one style of sound. The Chariot Z says, well, we're going to continue to do what we want to do. And if you know, if, if it's not exactly what the kids are want, fine, but it's out there for somebody who wants to be, who wants to listen to it. And they didn't give a fuck. They were, um, unwavering in their integrity for the music that they wanted to play. Absolutely. And I love each of these tracks very dearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a rule in my car and it's, and, uh, I, I intend to name one of my demo tracks after this. But, uh, but, but my rule is that in this house, we do not skip David Delahose, which <laughs> dawned on me that that'd be a really fucking funny name for like a track <laughs> off of a demo CD, right? Yeah, it's like a tribute, but like, you know. At the same time, yeah. like, you get it, right? Yeah. Um, there, there's something about all the named ones like David, uh, Andy Sunwall, the distance between the earth and our feet was the only thing never to change, like, prolific. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city though. I want to talk about the city for a minute. Okay. Because if there was ever a call to arms that both defeated you and uplifted you at the same fucking time, it is the city. And this is just – it's one of those that takes you on a journey. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not styled or written in, in a similar fashion to anything else on this album or I'd even argue in, in most cases along the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the city – will put you in a depression and then it'll take you out of it by the time the fucking three minute and 59 second is over the three minute 59 second run is over with mm-hmm. and um if you ever want to see me go ape shit for a song this is something i'm planning to cover this this is like the monument to 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 hardcore in my opinion this is like one of those like you know everybody talks about the pyramids right mm-hmm. everybody talks about the sphinx mm-hmm. but this is the Ah, what can I compare this to? You see, I set myself up for these fucking metaphors. I don't follow up. Correct. This is like a. Th- this is like the brewery, four miles away from Stonehenge. <laughs> you go, you go to see Stonehenge, right? But you really kick back and talk about it at the brewery. Oh my god! I'm pretty sure there's not a brewery ten miles from Stonehenge. Yeah, but this is the one four miles away <laughs> specifically. Um, oh god. I don't know. I have a lot to say about this album, but at the same time, I feel like I have nothing to say because you have to sit down and listen. Yeah, you gotta experience, experience it. it. Yep. And yeah. um, "Long Live the Chariot" is mm-hmm. is a saying that I will always fucking chant. Yep. Um, Long let, the let's go up. I, I believe we have uh, what one more actually. One, more. one wing in 2012 was their swan song. Mm-hmm. I guess you can call it. Um, it was very much. How do I want to approach this? One Wing was the most refined that you can get Correct. off of Chariot. Uh, people kind of knew that they were the shit at this time. Mm-hmm. And they, Like I said, they blazed their own trail. And you were either immediately in front of the fire or you were caught in it. You know what I mean? You were on the Chariot train or you weren't. Uh, the production is astounding. The vocals are astounding. Uh, Steve Harris and that guitar. Um, re- fucking ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing this band can't do and they went out with a bang with songs like forget and uh love and speak and in tongues and that um mm-hmm. and the woman they got in to do the cleans Woo! oh lord angela angela plake angela plake yes um and this is their farewell to the world right and i kind of want to talk about um the the farewell tour because i managed to, to catch him right it was mm-hmm. actually at the bottom lounge in mm-hmm. 2013 mm-hmm. um the chariot the Chariot is a band you should listen to. Absolutely. I feel like that's fair. Mm-hmm. But there will never be something like a Chariot show ever again. Yeah. And um, 
you know, you, you, you could have gone out and seen Dillinger. You could go out and see Every Time I Die. You could go out and see Van. All those bands are on the same level of, uh, abrupt chaos. Mm-hmm. But the chariot brought this weird, um, this kind of je ne sais quoi. I can't particularly put my finger on it, but they brought this atmosphere, this sort of wholesomeness, uh, this sort of, um, don't be afraid to be who you are crowd. Mm-hmm. And there was just overflowing amounts of love at those shows. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it was a time to go hog wild. And I, I love the cherry. I really do. Mm-hmm. And, I'm at a loss for words, you know? You know, mm-hmm. when you're talking to like a cute girl, what's well, been probably like a decade for you, but like, and you like <laughs> choke up and you choke up a little bit. You're I like, talk uh, to a cute girl every day. <laughs> oh, brownie points. Too bad she doesn't, your wife doesn't listen to our podcast. She listens after. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's hard to put into words how much this band means to me and how much influence they had not only on my life, but the lives of many others. Yep. And it's one of those things like, well, I've seen crazy shows. I'm sure you have, man. And mm-hmm. I'm sure in your experience, it was the gnarliest of gnar. It's up there. Mm-hmm. But the, the chariot brought something. Yeah, man. There's something about them. Like you said, it's, it's always like the sense of this overwhelming sense of like community and people who have, uh, it's like you see the same guy at the same show repeatedly. It's like, it's like a cult almost, uh, to a certain extent. And, um, those, that live show, it felt like, like you, you would never see the chariot play at like the fucking um, at the Aragon. Yeah, or the the, yeah. You, you had to see them where the stage is just about level with the <laughs> with, with the floor, and you 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 don't quite live. There doesn't quite feel the same unless Josh is screaming at your face at face level about what the fuck is going on. And yeah, and then the drum kit ends up in the pit. Yeah, the ex- exactly. And you got symbols getting thrown over your head and fucking extreme whiplash. You know yeah, what I mean? Um, I think the best way to sum this up, right, the chariot kind of presented this feeling as if the world was ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but you didn't want to be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of glad it was ending right there and then. Correct. And that's kind of the best way I can put this into words. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, fun, fun tidbit, because I know you want to do a career interview on them. This is the first time I saw To the Wind, actually. It was in 2013, opening up for the chariot. Okay. Good show. Um it, you know, if you've seen them, I feel like you, you, you know what I'm getting at. But if you've never seen The Chariot Live, there is a phenomenal music documentary on them on YouTube. And that's honestly the closest fucking thing you can get to that same feeling right now. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, check that out. It's my favorite music documentary as well. Mm. But, uh, yeah, dude, long live The Chariot. Absolutely. My closet holds no bones. And I'm just kind of like, I'm trying not to choke up. <laughs> At the end of this. And I feel like I don't do that very often, if ever, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And so the chariot, the chariot got me doing that shit. Nice. So that is the chariot, a career in review is something we've been putting off for a long time. I finally got a chance to get through. I think we could obviously say one of the most influential bands in our hardcore scene. And, uh, we miss them. We miss them dearly to this day. Uh, because, yep. One, um, yeah, right. One of the absolute, um, most chaotic, violent visceral experiences of seeing the chariot live and unfortunately we don't get to do that anymore so long live the chariot and uh you know it is what it is now we're gonna have to figure out who we're gonna do next for career review i'm sure me and gabe will discuss it off to the side actually it's your volley because i chose the chariot 
All right, I'll put some thought into it, and then I'll get back to you, and then maybe we'll talk about it on a later date. But uh, yeah, we're gonna have to pick up a band to do a career review for. But the Chariot, absolutely phenomenal, and definitely check them out if you haven't. Uh, you will probably take a look around. Uh, at their discography and realized that a lot of your favorite hardcore bands have taken an element of the chariot uh, and did their own version of it. So definitely check it out for sure. Awesome sauce. So certified bangers. I'm going to go ahead and type that in and then we will go, go from there. You said you had some as well. Uh, yes. Let me pull mine up. Actually, you can, uh, fire off the first volley if you will. All right. So I'm putting it on the list and actually I got for me. For me, this is going to be a um, bands that I haven't really followed and or heard of and or never experienced before. So the first uh, song that I got on here is by a band called Love and Death. The song is called Down. All right. Um, the best way I can describe this is that it's if him and what was the band that I fucking said it was him and Adima had a baby. And they wrote music. That's what it sounds like. And what's the name of this band? It's called uh, Love and Death Down is the name of the name of the song. Uh, so Love and Death Down. Like I said, it's like if him and Edema had a baby. So the, obviously the Edema aspect comes in from the, the style of music, the style of scream, uh, kind of that early 2000s kind of rock metal sound, uh, which I'm a fan of because that's what they are obviously that I grew up in. And as far as vocal delivery, uh, vocal performance and uh, lyrics, it's very similar to him. So a little bit of a curveball because normally I'm looking for the most violent Fast paced stuff that I can normally get get up my hands on, but this one's a little bit different. We actually listened to it, listened to it on the way to um, the date last night for me and the woman, and she's like, "Wow, that's that was pretty good." I'm like, "Yeah, I liked it too." So I wanted to make sure that that gets done. So definitely check that out. Love and Death Down. Check it out. Cool beans. Uh, I got a band right here from Vancouver called the Kodiak. Okay. Uh, so specifically, I'm referencing a song called Hide Howitzer. Um, the last time they released music was early 2020. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I mean, it's only been a year, right? Um, what I love about this band is that they combine the dirty, grimy Southern style with like a lumberjack feel and aesthetic. And I feel like that translates very fucking well into music. And you're not going to get what I'm getting at mm-hmm. until you sit down and listen to this song. Fair enough. It's the perfect fusion of like um, Maylene and the Sons of Disaster with like uh your favorite hardcore elements of like bands like Vanna mm-hmm. and um you know sprinkle in some fucking every time I die sure. shit like that. They're uh the the vocal fries are so fucking fitting for mm-hmm. this style of music. And I'll leave it at that. Check out the Kodiak. Kodiak, got it, got it, got it, got it. Next up, now this is gonna be a total fucking curveball. You're not gonna expect it. The song is called Twisted Tongues. The band is called AFI. Oh, hello. Yeah, hello, AFI. So, um, I was a fan of like early AFI back in the day, but I've since gone out of it. Um, and this is a song that is more similar to where they've, where they've been as opposed to where they went. Uh, because I think if you listen to more recent AFI, uh, it kind of lost that dark, the cure 80s sound. It's back. It's back with a vengeance. Twist the tongue Sweet. AFI. Uh, it's a great song. Great delivery. Another song that my wife's like, God damn, you get some good songs in your shit. My songs suck. I'm like, well, it's because your music tastes suck. And that's it's how- because she doesn't like every time I die. Yeah, <laughs> saved. yeah, yeah, I guess. But, um, so yeah, definitely check it out. I liked it a lot. Uh, and I, I ended up downloading it immediately because it played and I'm like, that was good. And it's been a long time since I got into AFI. So 
definitely check it out. Again, Twisted Tongues by a band called AFI, who does not get enough love on this podcast. Cool beans. I got another Australian band that I mentioned previously when they dropped the single. Uh, it's a band called Vilify. They dropped their uh, EP uh, December 4th, 2020. It's called Clarity. Uh, let me just start off by saying that we need more women more women vocalists and hardcore and this person fucking demolishes it mm -hmm. it's just brutal onslaught um I, I actually want to do an ep review of this next okay. podcast episode because i want to sit down i want to get your takes my takes okay and do a full-blown fucking review right here Polly. okay cool sounds good you got any more I do have one more. It is called Empire of Ashes from a band called Like a Storm. So the way I described it to the woman is that it's basically a less talented version of Northlane, but still, oh, still very, very solid though. It's very, it's very hard to be more talented than Northlane. And these guys do a very good job of, uh, you know, kind of honing that. Um, it sounds very good. It's very deep with uh, like that uh, that the electronic thump that Northlane is known for. Uh, so good performances when it comes to vocals. Guitars are there. Drums are there. Everything that you need is there. So if you want kind of a starter kit before you get into Alien by Northlane, this is the good one to get to. So again, the song is called Empire of Ashes by a band called Like a Storm. Cool beans. I'm going to bring this one back around to home by a band that we've reviewed on this podcast before, but we should still fucking pay attention because they're only growing in power. This band is called Victims. They released oh. a new single in February called Carefully Caged. My sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> People need to be paying attention to victims. Mm -hmm. The numbers reflect, but we need to get those numbers up. Yep. These are rook numbers. Yep, absolutely. Um, much love to the Illinois hardcore scene. Mm -hmm. um, and for the love of fucking God, if you haven't listened to Victims, go turn this off right now. We're ending in like two minutes. Go listen to Victims. Hard facts. Uh, disregard the, the last hour and 40 minutes of the show. Just go – if you take one thing away from it, listen to Victims. That's what we should – And Dead Awake. Yeah, and Dead Awake for sure. So I believe that's the end. Is that is that the, the, the part where you do the thing and I say the numbers? Yeah, because I believe that was the end of episode 167 of the Second City Kids podcast, and we'll be back next time for episode 168. 168. And until then, thank you guys for joining us. You guys know the deal. Deuces. Thank you guys for joining us this week on the Second City Kids Podcast. You can like us on iTunes, Google, anywhere else podcasts are found. Any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email us at secondcitykids at gmail.com. Until next week, folks, deuces. Deuces.